The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. Everybody, welcome to Cardboard Cave, your increasingly more sporadic <laughs> board gaming podcast. It's just me again, down here in the basement, down here in the, oh, see, I broke the fourth wall, down here in the cave, and I'm just not in a real mood uh, today to, to uh, I guess, put on the charade. This is going to be an honest episode. Um, I'm not sure exactly what I titled this episode yet because I've not recorded it, but we are going to review a game. I'm going to review a game that I've played with uh, two, three players and also played solo, Isle of Cats, so stick around for that. The first, I don't know how long, 20 minutes or so, you might want to just fast forward past it if you don't want to hear uh, an increasingly aging man who's just kind of bitter and broken at the world a little bit, <laughs> kind of rambling on. Maybe skip the first part of this episode. This is uh, this is going to be a different one, but we are going to review Isle of Cats. I'll try to keep it brief and just to the point and help you see if this might be something for you. Um, this is an episode I'm doing because I want to do it, and this is probably one of those episodes that would make more sense if this podcast had been around longer and some of you knew me better and cared what I have to say, <laughs> honestly, uh, but I'm going to be honest and what I'm feeling now, and so I'm recording it now. Um, you know, when I started this show, I think I tried to say that this isn't going to be a commercial kind of podcast. This isn't going to be a podcast that's just here to hype you up, to buy games, buy more, 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 the new hotness, get get this, get that. You know, I have covered some games that were fairly new and, and hot at the time that I covered them, but it's just because I played them and I wanted to cover them. Um... This episode, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. This is going to be an episode that some of you are going to just... The few of you who have perhaps subscribed might unsubscribe. I can't speak English. That doesn't help. You might unsubscribe after this episode. And that's okay. Um, If the numbers are to be believed, and I don't know if I do believe them, there are a number of you who are listening, and I really appreciate that. I know some of you followed me over from Retro Bliss, and I'm thankful for you. Uh, I'll just go and say, I'm going to get into it. Um, the first part of this episode is is just going to be different. It's just things I want to say. And for some reason, putting them, putting them <laughs> into a microphone and knowing that somebody out there who maybe feels somewhat the same, it just feels kind of like therapy to me. So that's what I'm going to do. I apologize if this is not what you signed up for. But hey, it's a free podcast, so... At least there's that. Um, and I'll go ahead and say this first part, if you're new to this hobby and just, I don't know, just an upbeat, happy-go-lucky person who's excited about board games and that's the only reason you're listening to this show, I almost think maybe you shouldn't listen to this per- first part. Maybe come back in five years. <laughs> However, if you've been around a while and maybe have, have 
started to get a little self-reflective and jaded about certain things, then this is for you. And I don't mean to bring anyone down. This is just for me, something I need to get out. And you're probably going to start hearing more of this kind of thing, I imagine, in all kinds of media formats and podcasts. I think 2020 was just hard on everybody in a number of ways. And for me, it wasn't really anything new from 2020. And I'm not going to focus on all the 2020 pandemic and all that stuff we've heard about a billion times. It's just the 2020, I think, brought some things to a head, made me get into some kind of self-realization. And a lot of that is related to board games. And that's why I decided, instead of Retro Bliss, which is just a silly video game podcast, honestly, or somewhere else, I decided for some reason this is where I'm going to share it. So poor, unlucky you, I guess. Um, The first thing I want to talk about kind of leads up to the second, but the first thing really doesn't have anything to do with board games, and I apologize for that. And I'm not going to try to get too philosophical, but okay. I'm 36 and a half years old. Um, I've been in the board game hobby 18 to 20 years. I honestly do not know the exact number. I know I signed up to Board Game Geek um, 16 years ago, almost 16 years ago. And I know I was hovering around that site for a couple or even several years before I ever signed up for an account. But I've had an account for 16 years with Board Game Geek, which kind of helps date it a little bit. Honestly, I don't think I would know if it wasn't for that. I know I have a receipt for time well spent, which was a great place to buy games from back in the day. Um, And it was from, I don't know, something like 17 years ago. I I wish I I need to find that receipt. It might be more like 18 years ago, because I think that was my first board game order. So anyways, 18, 19 years at this point. And that's relevant for what I'm going to talk about later. You know, 36-year-old guy, I guess at the age where we start reflecting about things, what we do, where we spend our time, our money, our resources. And 2020 is a year that brought some things to a head for me. Um, So I've considered myself a Christian for basically my whole life. Um, uh, I'll be honest with you, part of that is because I grew up in the southern United States and that's kind of what you do, um, and that's not good. You shouldn't make a serious decision like that because it's what you do. But I'm saying that that plays a role. You know, of course, my mom plays a role, and and I'm thankful to her for the way she did things. I've uh, never forced anything on us, and Dad too. Honestly, I got to give him credit there too. As a working dad myself, I realize now I don't give my dad enough credit for for some things, but they both helped us. I think to not just follow what they said, but also to think for ourselves. I think they did a pretty good job at that. But part of why, you know, I've considered myself a Christian for all these years is because of my surroundings. I mean, that just is what it is, and that's not unusual for anyone in any culture. Um, But part of it was also a genuine desire to, um, to live for something bigger than myself. Uh, I don't know how else to put it, you know, and I, and I think most humans at some point in their lives have a desire like that, and it takes on different forms for different people. Don't worry, this is not going to be the Bible hour. Um, this is just some things I need to get off my chest and so I can move forward with a healthy podcast in the coming year. So long story short, 
you know, some things happened in 2020. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, first of all, I'm an RN. I'm a registered nurse. I work uh, in a hospital. Um, and, you know, when the virus started getting serious this year, obviously it's going to affect everyone. And those of us working in healthcare, I'm not saying we're necessarily affected more. It's just a different perspective sometimes. Um, and like I said, also being a Christian, that plays into part of what I'm going to talk about here. Also, the the protests and the rights and the racial tensions, the problems with America that were sort of laid bare, I think, to more people than ever in 2020, that played a big part on me this year. Um, <clears throat> and I, I guess I don't really know where to go with this. It's, I feel weird saying this on the Board Game Podcast, but hey, if you make it through this, you'll know if this is the kind of show you want to stick around for. You're going to occasionally... Here's some things like this. So, you know, you'll decide if you want to stick around. Long story short, with my spirituality, you know, I'll be honest with you, and this stinks, but I almost don't like to use the term Christianity anymore because Americans, and I'm just going to say it, American Christians have ruined it. They've ruined it for everyone as far as I'm concerned. And when I say they, I'm including me in there too. I mean, I'm an American who considers himself a Christian, but... It's just become a dirty word almost. And this year, 2020, more than ever. Um, but for some time, I've had some doubts. I've had some... Uh, just... I don't know. Sometimes I just overthink things and I've had some doubts. Okay, we'll leave it at that. But there's a few people I know. Some some men around my age, older than me, you know, that I can relate to. Who I kind of always looked to, and probably unfairly, because they never asked for this, but who I looked to to remind me, yep, you know what, I'm failing in some areas, I'm weak in some areas, but this spirituality thing is real, you know, uh, Jesus is real, the, the spirit is real, because I can look at these men and see, you know what, they're making decisions and using discernment that is above what I would consider human capability. And to be fair, they would say as much that the Spirit of God is what gives them discernment and helps them make decisions. And so in that way, I kind of look to them to remind me, yeah, you know what? I may not be where I should be, but that's on me. Because they reminded me, yeah, there's this discernment. If nothing else, you know, we don't have a, a, a person walking around doing literal miracles. Um, that's as it's recorded in biblical times when Jesus was walking around doing miracles. So I'll be honest, as a weak human, sometimes we have to grasp for things. And what I grasped for was the discernment. I think that's the word I'm going to keep coming back to. The discernment that some people in my life had, or I perceived that they had, that showed me, yeah, there's something more than human. That's the key here, more than human. And that's probably completely unfair, but that's just where I was. But 2020 came, the pandemic came, and this discernment from these people, and I don't want to make it sound like just one or two people, it wasn't. And honestly, I hope they never hear this, because I do not want to hurt them. God knows I don't want an apology. They don't owe me an apology. This is about me and where it's led me. Uh, But anyways, uh, they kind of broke that that. Uh, dream for me. I don't know how else to put it. This idea that they had this discernment that I was lacking. That they had this spirit that was guiding them that I was lacking because I hadn't put the work in. Because I wasn't reading my Bible like I should. Because I was missing church services. 
whatever reason, I was lacking this discernment, but they had it, and that was showing me that, yes, this is definitely real. And that kind of came crashing down on me, and this is why Scripture itself says you're not supposed to always be looking outward at other people and comparing yourself to them. I mean, there's a certain amount of that you're actually supposed to do, according to Scripture. Iron sharpens iron and be an example and all that, but I was watching them more closely than I realized, and it hurt. It ended up being a bad thing. Um, bottom line, you know, people that I had this trust in sharing ridiculous, ridiculous uh, uh, conspiracy theories about the pandemic, um, basically belittling the profession that I'm a part of, the the, the profession that I, I frankly, and I hate to say this because I hate it when people... I hate it. I truly hate it when people use the term heroes when it comes to healthcare workers because we're getting paid to do a job that we signed up for. Um, but I do feel like I sacrificed part of myself to do this job and do it well. It just is what it is. And to have it belittled by these people I looked up to, and that God knows they didn't mean to belittle me. In fact, they were very supportive of me. This is not personal in that aspect. But from my perspective, you know, I have to respect science to a certain degree. I have to respect the healthcare field to a certain degree. And it seemed like at every turn they were just lacking utter, utter lack of discernment. And it didn't make me hate them by any means. Lord, no, it didn't make me mad at them. It it just kind of broke me a little bit. Like, wait a minute. These are the people that were supposed to have this discernment that was above human discernment that show me, yes, I can reach this. And here, their discernment is so far less right now than people I know and consider friends who are who declare themselves atheists, who say they have no belief in any God, in any spirit, and yet are showing more discernment right now. So what's going on? And I know this sounds really childish, and someone who's in their 30s and been a Christian their whole life should have probably been above this, being affected like this, but I guess I wasn't. Um, and then, you know, kind of, well, at the same time, you know, uh, the sort of racial injustice awakening that I think a lot of people felt in this country, I felt it, you know, I hate racism, racism, I hate bigotry, but just, I don't know why it took some of the events of this year, but I realized, you know what, I kind of turned a blind, blind eye to some things. I've kind of lifted America up above what it really is. You know, thank God for America, but at the same time, we got a long way to go. We need to quit, quit pretending like we're there in every aspect. And um, and it wasn't because I was listening to the media, because I was being brainwashed. I just figured it out for myself. Like, oh, crap. I've really been turning a blind eye to some things. And I started feeling really a little bit ashamed about it, if I'm being honest with you. Not because of what anybody else said, what anybody else done. Not because of any protest or rioting or looting. There's lots of words in there I know that spark controversy. And I think there is good protesting that happened. And I think there's looting and rioting that happened from people of all shapes, sizes, colors, backgrounds. There was good and there was bad all mixed in together because that's humanity for you. But I was ashamed because I think I maybe intentionally turned a blind eye to some things and... And there's some things that happened this year, and I'll be honest with you, I started thinking about my son, and this sounds really silly or simple, but I thought, if my son were black, would I take some of this more seriously? 
let alone me, if my son were black, you know, say we adopted him, whatever, and it just hit me, oh, oh God, I would feel a lot different about some of the things going on. And I realized, well, that's not very Christian of me, for one thing. And I just I just vowed I was going to do better and, and not just listen to the crowd that I'm surrounded by. But around the same time, some of these same quote-unquote spiritual leaders in my life, again, assigned by me, they didn't declare themselves my spiritual leaders. I'm just saying, the people I was looking to, after kind of um, betraying my expectations when it comes to the reaction to the pandemic and to the healthcare community and things like that, then started saying some really ignorant things about just race relations and just everything going on in this country. And uh, tone deaf, tone deaf is the word I would use. And again, I thought, my God, if they have this, this spiritual discernment, where is it? Where is it? This can't be right. This cannot be right. This is not what Jesus would do. And that was sort of the end of it for me. That was like, you know what? I can't pretend to be okay with that. I can love the people, and I can promise you I do. And again, Lord knows I don't want an apology from anyone. I'm not owed an apology from anyone. Some others might be owed an apology, but not me. But I realized, no, I cannot consider these people spiritual or having something I don't have. Um, so if it's real, if it's even real, then that means we're all lacking in it. Even those who proclaim it. <sighs> Gosh, that was a long way to go around. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was a lot. I just had to get that off my chest. Um, I've, I've not felt comfortable being that honest with anyone. And I think just knowing that's recorded and out there, it's helpful to me. Um, and I, in some ways I think I am optimistic because when this started happening and I felt something changing in me, I, I'll be honest with you. I felt my desire to go to church and it was a one, two punch. It was a one, two punch of, I wasn't even sure it was the right thing to do morally for any of us to be going and congregating. Um, and then also do I even, can I do that and be honest? Cause I got to be honest with myself and with others. And I, and I, and I'm not the kind of person who can just put on a face for too long. So I'm just not going to go if I'm putting on a face and I truly don't know what I believe about some things anymore. It's just, it's kind of rocked my world. It's changed things for me. Okay. I'm sorry. That was long. Um, and I almost hate to continue with the more board game related side of it now because I've gone on so long, but I'm going to do it. All right. So realizing some things about myself this year, you know, like in the, in regards to turning a blind eye, maybe to racial injustice and kind of being a little fragile about that, maybe a little ashamed and then have people react the way they did. Just hit me really badly. Um, and you know, with the spiritual side of things and being a healthcare worker, that side of things, and then there's realizing, you know, coming down to the, to the to the cave here, to the basement, and looking at the literal walls of board games around me, and realizing, um, these are just sitting here collecting dust. Looking at the board game table that I ordered, and it was the cheapest board game table you can get, and I put it together myself, and but it was still a splurge item. I mean, it still took some money that could have gone to something else. Um... <laughs> And, you know, 
you can feel guilty about things, you know, when there's people starving and here you're buying a board game table. But I'm going to be honest, it wasn't really even that. It was just, I could have spent it on my family, you know. <laughs> Although I thought it was for my family. I thought it was for everyone. I look at the fact that I've had this board game table, I think, for two years now and and thought about how many times people played on it and enjoyed it. And it's not very many. Um, again, surrounded by walls of games. Thinking about the fact that I've never been to a board game convention uh, in almost 20 years in this hobby, never been to a board game convention. Uh, that, it's like, what does that say about me? I mean, I could have. I could have made it happen. Why not? Um, and then probably more awakening, a more uh, discouraging fact about myself. Uh, I, I can count on one hand. In fact, much less than one hand. The number of board game meetups I've had in my life. In nearly 20 years in this hobby. Hundreds and hundreds of games lining the walls. Now, I'm not counting roping friends and immediate family in. Like, hey, let's play a game. I'm talking about intentionally going somewhere. Or intentionally even a, a having it at the house. It doesn't matter where. But of people who specifically are into this hobby like I am. And just want to play games. And that's what they're there for. I've done that exactly three times in my life. Twice was when my friend owned a board game shop, which was a short-lived but awesome little chapter in my life. Even though it wasn't me, it was my friend who I introduced to board games. I couldn't believe it was him that opened a little board game shop. But that's because that's the kind of person he is where I'm the kind of person who lets other people do those kinds of things. Excuse me. Twice I went. It was at least twice. It might have been three times. And it was honestly to support him and his endeavor, but I did enjoy it. But it really wasn't, it really was because it was him, and I wanted to be supportive. Um, and then I one other time, when I was, actually when I was going back to school for my nursing degree, as an adult going back to school, I did go one time to a small like restaurant bar and play a, a game, a game or two, with a group of people I had no idea who they were. And that's the only time I ever did that. And it wasn't a terrible time. It's not like I didn't enjoy it, but it's just the only time I ever did it. And that's it. <laughs> and so I think what I've realized about myself is I'm the kind of person who has no problem spending all kinds of money on these games. Because it's just, you know, it's just one or two or a few at a time. It doesn't seem so bad. But over the years, so much money, so much time invested in these games. But when it comes to actually putting myself in an uncomfortable situation to do something just for me, I'm terrible. I'm terrible at it. A board game convention is something I think I have an inkling that I could love and just really find to be a memorable, fulfilling experience. But I've never done it, and I realize I probably never will unless my wife literally shoves the tickets in my hand and shoves me out the door. <clears throat> and um, the only thing I can figure out is it's, this thought of not only spending a lot of money, but also our vacation time, you know, vacation days, on something that's just for me, first of all, that's the main thing, but also that I may not even enjoy. And that's ridiculous. All this money I spent on games, most of which we barely play, I could have gone to a convention, you know? <laughs> but that's just, it is what it is, you know? And the board game meetups, it's the same thing. I mean, there's not really much money involved there, but taking the time and the effort and putting myself in a kind of uncomfortable situation when it's something just for me. I'll go years without doing that. And that's that's kind of scary. But that's been a realization about myself. 
And, and one theory I had is, am I just that lazy? But I don't think that's it. I mean, to build myself up a little bit, I did go back to school as an adult to go into a field that is very hard and is not very kind to the lazy. Um, the job I do, I, I, again, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but I can honestly say a lot of people wouldn't do it for what I get paid or maybe even for any pay. <laughs> it's by far the hardest job I've ever had. And I've had jobs in different fields, industries, and I could do something easier for the money. Let's put it that way. So I don't think it's just laziness. You know, I, I try to take care of my family. It's just, it's an utter lack of motivation to put myself in an uncomfortable situation when it's something just for me. Although my job literally puts me in uncomfortable situations on a daily basis. On a daily basis, my current job puts me in uncomfortable situations. Hard situations. Situations I don't want to be in, but I do it because it's my job. Yet, when it's just for fun, just for me, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And so I look around at these, you know, the board game table and the board game chairs and the board games themselves, and I think how little they get played, you know? And I love my family, and I love my friends, and I've been blessed that a lot of friends and family I've showed these games to have fallen in love with them, or at least enjoy them. But it's different. It would be different to go to a group of people who are as obsessive about these things, about this hobby as I am. Instead, I'm always kind of roping in people. Now, don't get me wrong. Like um, uh, my sister-in-law, Kelby, is is very much in these. I mean, she's starting to amass a little collection herself, in fact. Um, I don't really have to rope her in. But when you're playing with friends and family, it's sort of the whole package, you know. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, there's kids running around. There's, <laughs> you know, that, and I wouldn't trade that for anything, but it's just reality. There's usually one or two people playing who are just being nice to me, if I'm being honest, who are just being polite, but don't aren't really invested in the game. Certainly would never read a rule book themselves or buy a game probably for themselves, but they're just playing, you know. I mean, my wife is so supportive, but she said that if, if I wasn't here, Ticket to Ride is like the only game she would actually pull out and probably teach people. Um, so th- I guess the point is, why have I avoided playing these games with people who are as obsessive about it as I am? Wouldn't that be a fun experience occasionally? And don't get me wrong, I don't want to play less with my friends and family. No, especially this year. That's been way too low. I don't know. And it's not anyone's fault but mine. I mean, that's the thing. I'm not blaming anyone. It is no one's fault if they would just rather chat than listen to this game I'm trying to teach. Because I'm not playing with quote-unquote gamers. I'm playing with family. I'm playing with friends, you know. But it is, I'll be honest, it has worn on me. Over the years, it has worn on me. And this is not a new thing. I've been dealing with this for years. You know, buying a game, you know, 30 to 40 to $50, depending on the game usually, <clears throat> which represents hours and hours of labor to amass that amount of money in expendable income, you know. Um, and then, depending on the complexity of the game, maybe learning it, Maybe spending a couple hours learning it. Again, depending on the, the kind of game, maybe spending an hour or so unpunching it. And because I am who I am, sleeving the cards, you know, that kind of thing. And then spending more time trying to figure out, you know, who 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 would really want to play this? How am I going to teach it? What's a good way to teach this game? And then I sit down to try to teach it, and people would rather talk about, I don't know, anything. Absolutely anything. Something they saw on Facebook. Something so-and-so said, the dog, anything besides the game. And I know it's not personal, and I've dealt with it 
hundreds and hundreds of times. But I realized that started to wear on me. And not because it's anyone's fault, but simply because I've not made the effort myself, for myself, to occasionally, once a month, once bi-monthly even, a few times a year, to seek out people who are as passionate about this hobby as I am and play with them. Heck, maybe they'll actually learn the rules sometimes. Maybe they'll be the ones setting up the game. Maybe they'll they'll be the ones trying to teach it while while uh, the rest of us are a little distracted or a lot distracted, you know. Um, I, I guess I just need to refill my batteries with that kind of thing, and I've just never done it. Um, so maybe this is a cautionary tale to, to be careful about going too headfirst into this if you're newer into the hobby. Pick out games you want to play. I cannot tell you how many games I bought because I thought, you know what, so-and-so would really like this game. Uh, um, so-and-so would play this game, I bet. I bet this game has got a short enough rule set that this group would play it with me. And 90% of the time, that never really pans out. Occasionally, I do, and I nail it on the head. I mentioned recently Skull King. I think I did a mini-review on this show. That has been a knockout success. And I think three, literally three different family members on my wife's side of the family have bought that game now because of how much fun we've had with it. Um, so yeah, there's there's that. But most of the time, I've got games on my shelf that some of them I have mild to little interest in some of them because I bought them thinking about other people. Now, that's not always the case. I have War of the Ring, the Lord of the Rings War of the Ring, which I think I mentioned recently. Uh, probably will never play it if I'm being danged honest, but I wanted it. I love Lord of the Rings. I adore it. And I wanted the definitive Lord of the Rings board game. So it's there sitting now on my shelf. Um, and maybe I'll have fun reading the rules one day. If not, maybe it'll provide me a little joy just by being there. <laughs> um, but for the most part, I'm thinking about other people. Because, hey, I want to play the games, you know, not just look at them on the shelf. But just be careful. Be sure you're only buying games you really want to play. Because if you really want to play them, you'll find a way to make it happen. And secondly, don't depend on other people to suggest it. You got to be more forward. I have 20 years of, of semi disappointment to speak for that. Of just of occasionally playing the perfect game with the people who really want to play it. Um, you know, me and my wife and Kelby and, and Kurt, who I've mentioned before, we've sat down and played some amazing four player games. Um, it's just so rare. It just, it's just so rare. Um, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> a cautionary tale. Be careful about going too headfirst into it. Stick to the games you really want to play. Don't be afraid to seek out some people who, who really want to play them. And frankly, we'll give you a little bit of the respect you deserve for having learned the game, for having paid money for the game, for having been willing to teach them the game, that are at least willing to play the game through and pay a little bit of attention to what they're doing. I've been in situations, and this isn't really something that's happened recently, but I've been in situations with people I consider friends even, who just totally showed me disrespect because, like, you know what? I, I didn't force you to play this game. You said you wanted to, but I just totally wasted my time and I'm frustrated and I'm angry even. <laughs> don't let yourself get there. Make sure it stays fun. Um, you don't need 600 games on your shelf, I promise you. Um, just think about what brings you joy and happiness and don't feel guilty about it once you have it because once you have it, you have it. But just try to get the games played. Um, that's, that's why I sit here feeling guilty sometimes. I look around me. These games are untapped potential. A word I used recently was chronic 
untapped potential. That's what my game collection represents, if I'm being honest. And I think to sum this part of the episode up, that's what I've realized about myself this year uh, in 2020 is that I myself have chronic untapped potential. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to leave it at that. Whew. Should we review Isle of Cats? Was that too much? Let's do it. Isle of Cats. <laughs> Isle of Cats is a game by Frank West, and I'm struggling. Hold on. Frank West of the City of Games. The City of Games. And Frank West, I believe, is the owner of the City of Games. Um, A very talented man. This game has a really attractive box. It's a huge box. Well, it's not a huge box. It's incredibly thick. The box has incredible quality. Excuse me, my goodness. It is a game for one to four players in 60 to 90 minutes, ages eight and up. It has a family mode, which is very much a simple game. And then the normal mode, which is, uh, they call it, I think on the box itself, it says it's a medium weight game. Most gamers would probably say low end of medium weight, but that's pretty accurate. It is a game with basically two parts, card drafting and polyomino, a.k.a. Tetris, basically. Tetris on a boat. Card drafting and then Tetris on a boat. Um, And the family game really streams like that down to pretty much just the Tetris part, more or less. So, an Isle of Cats... The theme, frankly, is a little ridiculous. You're trying to rescue these cats, but they're like, um, they're sort of like magical cats. They don't all look like regular cats. From this island, and basically it's the Hand of Saruman. Literally, on this boat is the Hand of Saruman. But the guy, the guy that's like the villain has a name, Vesh, Vesh, Lord Vesh, is going to come to this island and I guess destroy these cats. It's, it's pretty bad. So you're trying to get as many cats off this Isle of Cats as possible and save them. And to do that, you got to cram them on your boat. And where the theme is pretty cool, actually, is cats are just known to lay in the most weird positions and stretch out and curl up. And and so these tetromino pieces, these Tetris-shaped pieces, are cats on them. Each one is a different cat. Every single one's a different cat. That's pretty cool. Um, and they fit on your boat in different ways. The first part of the game, um, or sorry, the first part of every round is basically a card draft. And I'm not going to go into all the rules. I've decided that's not very helpful. But these cards you're drafting basically come in three types. you got your green cards, which are your basic cards you need to rescue the cats. They'll have two pieces, well, three pieces of information. First is the cost in fish. And hey, this is pretty simple. You get 20 fish at the start of every round. Um... And I was afraid that was a little too simple. You just simply get 20 fish. You don't do anything to earn more, really. I mean, there's a few cards you can get to get more, but for the most part, that's what you get. But it actually works pretty well because you know you're getting 20 fish each round. You can save some from round to round. you got to think about, is this card worth it or not? So, for example, this card costs three fish. Um, 
It has one basket and three boots. For each basket, you can take one cat with you from the island and put it on your boat. The boots are simply turn order. So once you drafted all these cards, you'll reveal these green cards, and you add up the total boots. Whoever has the highest boots will go first, as far as actually picking the cat they want. And then the baskets are the number of cats you can save. Some of the green cards only have half baskets. It takes two of those cards to make a whole basket. So let's say after the end of the drafting phase, I turned over uh, three total green cards. One had a basket on it, and two had half baskets. That means I could save two cats. Um, the other kinds of cards you can get in your hand that you're drafting are purple cards, which are simply cards that can be played any time. And sometimes they might be about worthless, sometimes they might be really good. For example, this one says, Cod Catcher. Pick a color and gain a fish for each cat of the chosen color on your boat. So the thing is, this card costs two fish to keep, because everything is paid for in fish. That's the currency. It costs two cards or two fish to keep, but you gain one fish per cat of a chosen color. So if you save this and play it later in the game, once you say maybe got five green cats on the boat, then basically you just netted three fish for free. Because it cost you two, but you netted you got five fish. You know, that kind of thing. But there's different ones that do different things. None of them are too attacky or take that. It's really not that kind of game. Finally, you have the blue cards. The blue cards... Um, and I'm realizing now I forgot a top. But anyways, you got the blue cards. These are called lessons. Basically, these are your objective cards. There are public lessons that everyone can fight for. For example, this one says everybody gets five points if they have three or more of the chosen cat color on their boat. And if you play it, you get to choose that color right then. Like, maybe I've really got a lot of purple cats on my boat. So I'm going to say, at the end of the game, everyone's getting five points if they have three or more purple cats on their boat. And I'm hoping my opponents don't get that, or it was kind of a waste, obviously. Then you got private lessons that are secret, and they're just for you. Um, for example, this one is worth 18 points if both the bedrooms are empty. So there's rooms on the ship that are marked by different symbols. So the, the rooms with the little moon symbol are called bedrooms. And if both of those are totally empty at the end of the game, which is not necessarily going to be easy because of the way the game works, but that's 18 points, which is huge. So that's a big kind of goal to go for. And those goals are cool because they can make you play differently than suboptimally. There is no optimal way to play because it's going to depend on these goals that you get. I really do like that. I think that works. The other kind of card is brown cards, and they are treasures and these special cats called O'Shanks, O'Shacks. <laughs> the O'Shacks are simply a special kind of cat that's laid out at the start of the game. They're face up. There's only that many. There's six in the game. That's all there ever be. You pick the one you want whenever you play one of these O'Shacks cards, and they simply act like any other cat except they're wild. You get to decide what color they are as you play them. But then they can't change later, so you got to know what it is when you play it. Plus, they're kind of odd shaped, so it can help you fill in a gap on your boat. Um, and then the treasures are just pieces of treasure that can basically help you fill in gaps on your boat. So that's the cards you're drafting. And, this, and then basically the second part, and there are more than two steps in a round, but I'm basically giving you the big steps. You know, you collect fish, you draw up the cards, then you draft the cards. Um, and actually, if you'll hold on one second.
one of the great things about the components of this game is the boards, the uh, ship boards, and they have the round summary on it. So it divides it up into fishing, where you collect 20 fish, exploring, which is where you take seven cards and draft them, read lessons, which is basically where you reveal uh, the lessons you kept, the blue objective cards. Four is called Rescue Cats, and that's where using your green cards in turn order based on the boots, you will actually rescue the cats. And so the way that works is, out of this giant, and I do mean giant bag, is drawn a certain number of cats, which are these tetromino-shaped pieces. These Tetris, not just Tetris, but Tetris-like pieces with cats on them. You put them on the left and the right side of the island. Uh, The left side is three fish per cat. The right side is five fish per cat. It's simply a way to make some cats more desirable in a given round. Because obviously you want to buy the three fish ones first <laughs> uh, if, if they're good for you. So turn order doesn't matter because maybe there's only one green cat that came out this round and you really want a green cat, you know, or whatever. So you can only rescue as many cats as you have baskets. You take turns back and forth and you have to have the fish to pay for the cats. So not only have you been paying fish to keep these cards, but now you've got to bribe the cats with fish to come onto your boat. Again, three fish on the left side of the island, five fish on the right. And uh, and you do that until everybody's used up all their baskets or is out of fish to pay. Um, also, gold rare treasure can come out during this time. And it's placed off to the side. It doesn't take the place of a cat. And I messed up that rule the first time we played. <laughs> it's placed to the side. It does not take up the place of a cat. <clears throat> but this not only acts like the regular treasure I mentioned earlier, but it's also worth three points per treasure at the end of the game. So that's something. And then finally, the last thing you do is you reveal any of the the rare finds cards, which is the Oshax cats and the the treasure cards, which is how you actually claim this gold treasure I just mentioned. Those are the final cards you play. Then it resets, and it, thankfully, this game moves really quickly, and in between rounds, all you do is pick up any cats that were not rescued. Unfortunately, they run away into the underbrush, never to be seen again. In other words, you take them out of the game. And then you'll draw two more cats per player to each side of the field. So in a four-player game, you're drawing a total of 16 cats. Eight on the left, eight on the right side of the island. And then you're ready to start again. Everybody gets 20 fish. You draft seven cards. Blah, blah, blah. Until this evil Lord Sauron, or Lord Vesh, sorry, reaches the fifth spot on the island. That means he's arrived at the island. The game is over. And any cats who were not rescued, I guess, are going to be uh, captured by him now. We'll say captured. That sounds better. Um, And you add up your points. And again, these boards are fantastic. Not only does it break down the rules, the turn summary, but it tells you exactly how you score points. So on this boat, you're going to lose a point for every rat you did not cover up. Basically, the cats eat the rats. And so for every rat you still have showing on your board, your boat, you're going to lose a point. You're also going to lose five points for every room top or every room that you have not completely filled. And these are, again, uh, you can tell what room it is because they have little symbols in them. That that helps you with that. So say you got three empty rooms, that's 15 negative points. And you should count on getting some negative points. It is really, we've played several times, nobody's ever filled up every room completely. We come kind of close the last time, but not completely. So you're probably going to get some negative points. 
But then comes the big scoring, and that's scoring for cat families. Because when you're putting these tiles on your boat, I've not even mentioned that, because honestly, it's pretty simple. Your first cat can go anywhere as long as it's totally within the grid on your boat. And your next, every other tile you place has to touch a previously placed tile on one of the sides. Diagonal doesn't count. It has to touch on one of the sides. Whether it's treasure or a cat, it simply has to be touching another tile you've already placed. And it's that simple. The trick is you want to get as many cats of a single color together as possible because these cats like to travel in families. And so the more purple or green or orange or whatever color you have lumped together touching each other, the more points you're going to get here. For example, to get any points at all, you have to have at least three cats of the same color touching, and that's eight points. Four is 11, five is 15, and then it goes up five per cat after that. Ten is 40, for example, um, which I've never seen ten. But I've got 30 points, I think, off of a family of cats, which is eight cats of the same color. Um, it's like, let's say you got six green together, that's 20 points. Then you got three purple together, that's eight points. Maybe you got four red, that's another 11 points. But then you only have two blue cats together. Two blue is not worth anything. It takes three to be worth anything. So that's kind of how that works. Then you'll simply get three points per rare treasure, the golden treasure. Then your your lessons, which are the blue objective cards. You'll see what you scored for your private ones. For example, you might have one that says, hey, you actually score two points for every rat that's uncovered. You're a rat lover. So yes, you lost one point per, per uncovered rat like everybody else during scoring. But now you're going to score two points for them. So basically, you earned a point per rat. I've had that one a couple of times, and I love it. Because I try to save the rats. Like, I don't want to cover them up. <laughs> you know, you might want to have one that says, um, you score an extra point for every cat touching the edge of your boat. You know, so it really does affect how you play. I really like those objectives. And then the public lessons are the ones that anyone can score. And you see how you did on those. And that's it. The game says 60 to 90 minutes. I feel like the first game, that's totally accurate. I feel like it'll be faster than that after that. Certainly a two-player game certainly can be under an hour. Um, And the solo game. So I feel like 45 minutes for a two-player game is plenty. Um, A four-player game probably would take about 90 minutes. But it's a pretty quick-moving game. It doesn't feel like it's overstays its welcome. In fact, you might be surprised... When that fifth round comes and it ends, you're basically drafting cards five times and placing cats five times. So you need to be sure you're getting the best cats you can and filling up that boat. Because basically what it comes down to, you're getting rewarded for filling up rooms completely, covering up rats, and just having cats of the same color touching. That's basically what it comes down to. And then the twists that are introduced with your, uh, your lesson cards, the objective cards. That's basically it. There's no extra points for leftover fish or anything like that. It's just totally based on this little scoring chart on your boat that's based on how you put your cats out. And that scoring working so smoothly and simply, I think, is what makes the game work. Um, So yeah, what do I think about it? Let's get into some some thoughts. Um, Component-wise... The first thing I noticed, and I hate to harp on this, but the box is so thick. (laughs) I don't, 
there's a target inside the top, the lid of the box, for you to put your cat on. Because, um, you know, it's a thing. Cats like to sleep on board game boxes. Uh, maybe that's why they made the whole box so thick. I, I don't know what the thought there is. I mean, if your cat pees in the box, it's going to be kind of ruined anyways. <laughs> but it's a really thick box. It's just, it stands out for that reason. And the components inside are very good to excellent, I would say. There are wooden cats. Um, the wooden cats, and I should say, I have the very standard normal edition. There was a Kickstarter. I don't have anything special or extra. This is 100% retail edition. There are wooden cats, which are really just used to keep track of, uh, like if you get one of those special cats, and let's say you want to make it blue, then you take one of these blue cats and put it on there, just so you remember what color it is. Other than that, everyone picks the color at the start of the game, and it's how you keep track of turn order on the island itself. So they're not used a lot, but they're really cool cats. I think there's something like, I don't know, there's quite a few of each one. Um, eight or ten or something. Well, there's 30 cat figures, so there's six of each color. 30 cat figures. There's 85 unique cat tiles, 17 of each color. And that's pretty cool. There's no tile, no tetromino. I think I'm saying that wrong now that I've said it four times. <laughs> There's no Tetris piece in this game that is identical to any other. They all have a unique cat, and there's 17 of each color, but even within those colors, they're all unique. Then there's the six uh, Oshax tiles, which are the special cats. And, of course, you've got the treasure tiles. Um, and all the tiles are nice, good quality cardboard. They'll last plenty of plenty of plays. The cards are good quality, linen finished cards. Um... The art on the cards is maybe, oh, well, I was going to say maybe on the simple side, but it's good artwork. And there's these cats are just sprawled out all over the cards. It's, it's good. And it's clear. It's pretty clear. But by far, I'm, I'm not really a cat person. Like, I, I have no issue with cats. Just, I don't know. We never had cats growing up. Not really a cat person. The thing didn't attract me for that reason. But I love this is the kind of thing I love. I love the boat boards. I love it when you get your own individual board in a game. And these are pretty good size. They're they're folding boards. Each player get one gets one. They're identical, except they have a different sea creature on them, uh, like swimming in the ocean or, or some of them are birds or whatever. But they're all two-sided because on the back side is if you play the family rules, you actually use the other side of the board. Some people might wish for different boards, like everyone having a different board. But I think the important part of the, about this game is it's about being efficient and getting the best cat at the right time and being smart with your card drafting, being smart with how you spin your fish. The actual piece placement, the tetromino placement, is not complex. But I think it works because there's enough going on that you don't need that to be complex. So I don't think the boards need to be different. Because really, what's going to change the way you place these pieces on your board is the blue objective cards. I might be really placing all my pieces on the outside edge of the board and trying to dodge the rats <laughs> where somebody else is trying to to do something totally different. So that's what's going to change that. But yeah, all the pieces are... The boards are my favorite part. I love the art on them. And it's what you see in front of you the whole time. So it's good that it looks good. I have no complaints. I have no complaints about the art or the components. The gameplay... You basically, you got two parts to a game. Neither of which is completely unique, but both of which work. And I will say, I don't have another game in my collection that's exactly like this, even with hundreds of games. Because it... 
I think what it does is it takes this Tetris style gameplay that has become very popular with games like Patchwork, for example, and it makes more of a game, like a gamer game out of it. Now, I know A Feast for Odin, the Uwe Rosenberg game, is sort of like the gamer's Tetromino game. Tetromino? Is that how people say it? Man, I sound really stupid right now, probably. But that one is like a very, very heavy, you know, Euro game. This is one of the only ones I know of that's sort of like a medium weight game that uses these this kind of gameplay. Um, and the drafting, I, I will say, the first time I played, the drafting part wasn't that exciting because we just didn't know what things were worth. It is one of those games, even though it's not complex, it is pretty easy to teach. I think medium weight, it's on the light end of medium weight. That's exactly where I'd put it. It's more complicated than Ticket to Ride, but not a lot more complicated than, say, Pandemic. A little bit more than regular base Pandemic. I would probably say it's somewhere along the lines of Pandemic with an expansion added, if you want an idea of the complexity of just learning it. Not very complicated. Easy to learn. The only thing is, the first game, none of us really knew what the cards were worth, so the drafting felt kind of wonky. But, starting with the second game, the drafting was so much better. And from our third game on, the drafting's a lot of fun. In fact, I'm going to say it. The drafting, in some ways, kind of is the game. And that might sound weird when you see the board and all the pieces, but I think you're, the best thinking, the most satisfying thinking and decision-making happens with the drafting. Um, so that's why the first time I played the game, I liked it, but I wasn't sure how much I liked it. Because really, the best part of the game, the most gamery part of the game is the drafting. Because the actual placement of these Tetris pieces on your board is fairly simple. Don't get me wrong, there's still decisions to make there. Like, you've got this objective that says you get points if you don't cover up this room, but are you really going to be able to pull that off? And you go for that. You know, there's decisions to make with the placement. You know, don't block yourself in so you can't have the cat families together. You know, that kind of thing. But the the, the Tetris piece placement is not that complex at all. The card drafting is really where the game is, if I'm being honest. And it works really well and goes hand in hand. Because that's how you get the cats to put them on your boat is through the card drafting. That's how you get the objective cards to know how you want to put the cats on your boat. It all fits together. Um, but just know, the first time you play, the drafting is just not going to be as good. Because you're like, well, I don't know. Is this is this a good objective? Is this something I can get? Uh, I, you know, it's... Um, I should mention, the drafting, you always get seven cards no matter how many people are playing. You always pick two at a time and then pass them to your neighbor. Um, so the two-player game works very well. I'll go and say that. It works very well. Really, the only difference is the number of cats you're putting out is two per player. So you're only getting a total of eight cats compared to 16 in a four-player game. But there's less of you. Um, you know, read the rules. There might be some other small changes. But it's it's not a big change to play with two players. And it works just fine. And that's actually a pretty good point because there's a lot of drafting games that aren't good with two players. This one totally works. You pick two. Obviously, the main difference is in a two-player game, you're getting the cards back a lot that you just pass to your neighbor so <clears throat> or to your opponent. But you get two at a time no matter how many players are playing. You pick two cards you want. Then you pass them. 
Those come back, you get two of those. Eventually, you'll just get one card back, and that's your final card. And a lot of times, that one is one nobody wants. The cool thing is, though, you can intentionally draft cards you don't want to keep your opponent from getting them. Because it doesn't cost you anything except for a turn, you know, so to speak, a drafting turn. It doesn't cost you anything to draft a card. Because then, after everyone's done drafting, you pay for the cards you want to keep and add them to your or cards you already have. That's where you pay the cost. <clears throat> and so that is a decision. Immediately after the drafting's done, you got another decision of, is it really worth it hanging on to this goal? It's a long shot if I'm even going to make it. And it's going to cost me two fish to keep it that I can use. But if I do make it, that's a lot of points. You know, that kind of thing. Um, or how many how many green cards are they going to play? You know, the boots determine the speed, a.k.a. who gets to pick first when it comes to picking cats. Um, I want to play just enough, you know, to, to have more boots than them. I've got myself in a pickle before because I only played, say, two cards out and only had two baskets. But there was at least three cats I wanted. Like, oh, man. I just wasn't thinking. Or other times, not having enough fish because I spent too much on keeping cards. So I didn't have enough fish. I found the fish isn't too tight. You know, that's basically your dollars. It's not too tight, but it's just tight enough. This is not a game that punishes you constantly for not getting what you want. It feels a little more forgiving than that. But it's tight enough. Um, So now that I've played a couple times, I really enjoy the drafting part. I enjoy how quick and smooth it is. I guess if I could give a negative to the drafting part of the gameplay, it's just that I feel like if me and my wife, for example, play this another few times, it's just not going to be as fun for somebody else joining in to play with us. Unless they also play a few times. And it's not a big learning curve, it's just at least two games. You at least have to play two games to really even understand what stuff's worth. And I think that's just worth mentioning. That being said, um... I also enjoy the tile placement part. Like I said, it's simple, but I enjoy it. It's satisfying having your boat laid out, um, having the cats on it. It's just it's just satisfying. So that being said, um, my positives, to sum it up, fast playing, once you know what you're doing, both the drafting and the tile placement parts are fun. I think it's a pretty streamlined game overall, which I appreciate. I like the fact that the fish pay for everything. You don't need any other currency. I actually kind of like the fact you just collect 20 fish, so you know that's what you're getting. You don't have some engine to determine how much fish you get, you know. Um, I like the look of it, even though the thing doesn't do a lot for me. I like the look of it. People who love cats are just going to fly all over it. (laughs) Um, I've got to mention the cost here. This game cost me 35 bucks from Miniature Market, I think it was, just you know, one of the standard online game retailers, 35 bucks. The box alone does not feel like a $35 game. This feels like a deluxe game. Uh, I think this is about component-wise, some of the best components I've gotten for $35 in a long time. Um, I think the game probably retails for $49.99, but $59 or even $69 is more what I would expect it to retail for, just based on what games are going for now. So I think the price is excellent. I think what you get for your money is excellent. And I enjoy the gameplay. I didn't mention. Uh, played three players the first time uh, with Kelby, who I mentioned earlier. We all three enjoyed it. Um, the only niggle was, I don't think any of us quite grasped what the cards were worth. So the drafting wasn't as exciting as it could have been. 
But then me and my wife played um, not too much later, and I enjoyed it a lot more. And then we played again, and I enjoyed it a lot more. Um, just really enjoyed it. For some reason, I think I've won. No, I haven't won every game I played. I was about to brag for no reason. Um, I've won more than my fair share, I think. Which can, I mean, I try not to let it affect my opinion. But it does feel good to do well at a game. And I'll be honest with you, I expected to not do well at this game. A game that I might have mentioned on the show before called Sagrada. is one of my wife's favorite games. And it involves placing dice out on a grid to make patterns, basically. And I'm so bad at that game. I don't even know why. I'm just so bad at it. Excuse me. Um... I'm I'm really really bad at it. Um, apparently I have won Isle of Cats every time we played. So yeah, that wasn't my imagination. <laughs> I played it three times, um, and then once solo. And I can't remember what the goal was in the solo play. If I technically won that or not? No, I don't think I did. I think the game won, the game won when I played solo. Um, but anyways, I was going to mention. I think it worked about the same at two and three. I see no reason it wouldn't work just as well at four. And I enjoyed the solo game way more than I thought I would. Because here's the thing. The solo game was well thought out. It comes with its own special deck of cards. And basically what the cards do is they eliminate cats. You have no control over it sometimes. They'll just eliminate cats. And so getting to choose your favorite cat before the solo deck eliminates it adds some stress to the game. The solo game works. I'm not much of a solo gamer. Um... You know, my big rant at the start of the episode about some games just not getting played enough. Well, part of that's because I'm not much of a solo gamer. But I was surprised how much I enjoyed this. And I'm glad it's at least an option. And again, for a $35 game to come with a solo deck right in the box, not bad. Well, $50 game that you can get on discount for $35. Not discouraging you to shop at your local game store, though. I've, I've come to the conclusion, if you love a place and they provide you a meaningful service, it's worth paying a little more. And just buy less games, because you're not going to play them all anyways. Buy fewer games that support the places you care about. That Truly, if I had a local game store, I would do that. I do not have an even remotely local game store at this point in my life. <laughs> um, my friend's shop was the most local one. And yeah, he, he stopped that a while back. So, um, Yeah, the, the solo works way better than I thought it would. In fact, I would, I would recommend playing the solo. And my negatives, I mean, I pretty much mentioned, but basically it comes down to, I think you just got to play that first game and it's just not going to be quite as good because you're not going to know with the card drafting, you're not going to know what's what. But maybe that should be expected for any card drafting game. But it definitely was the case with this one. <clears throat> I think you got to play it at least twice to know if you're going to really like it. Um, I've not played the family rules, but it seems like a really simple but good way to play the game if you just want to put the cats on the boat, basically. Um, and the family mode is really simple. I think that's, that's the key. I think that's going to give this game some value, honestly, because the placing the cats on the boat is just fun enough that I think some people might just buy it for that. And I think that would be okay, especially at this price range. So I I would actually recommend that if you have younger kids, it says eight and up. I would say an eight year old could play the family rules. I think the main rules might be a bit much for eight, eight, an eight year old, an average eight year old, but the family rules, sure. Sorry, my throat is really dry. 
It's because this basement is really dry and I'm talking a lot. That's why. <laughs> Sorry, this cave. Not a basement. Definitely not a basement. Um, I was trying to think of any other negatives. Really, it's just that first game not being as exciting as you want it to be. Okay, and I guess maybe that would be the other negative or neutral point. The game is never exciting. Even in a way like Ticket to Ride can get nail-biting when you're afraid you're about to be cut off and this route, this 20-point route is about to be ruined. There's nothing quite that tense in this game. But, say, to the critical darling Wingspan, which everybody's just been talking about for the last year, I think it is more tense than that, to give you an example. It's somewhere between something like Wingspan and something like Pandemic or Ticket to Ride, as far as just tension. Um, But yeah, there's not a ton of tension. There's also not a ton of player interaction. But there kind of is, because it's a drafting game, and you can definitely just hold cards because you know how much your opponent wants it. And you can also take cats they won't. You know, there's that kind of interaction. But you literally have your own board you're playing on, so you can't directly mess with other people. I don't consider that a negative, but some people probably do. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I think there's enough variety here. I can't come up with any other negatives. I think the most negative thing I could say about this game is just... Uh, the the board, game geek ra- board Game Geek rating for this game is through the roof. Like, it's higher than a lot of games in my collection. A lot of games that I really like. And I'm trying to think, you know, what is it that makes a game like this just climb the rankings and just really get raved about? Because I like it quite a bit, but I don't think it's better than some of the other games in my collection that have a lower rating. And I've just noticed that quite a bit lately. I mean, I hate to say it, but... And I did give it a favorable review in our very first episode... But every time I played Wingspan, it's been a pleasant experience. But I've never thought, yep, that's just one of the best games of the last few years. It's one of the most beautiful games of the last few years. Some of the best components by far. But it's just a good, good, solid game. And I'm going to say the same thing about Isle of Cats. It is a good, solid game. I'm going to say very good game. Would I say it's just head and shoulders above so many other games that it's ranked higher than? I really wouldn't. And... I don't know if this is me or this just like a new wave of people entering the hobby and to them this is just, I don't know, it's got like an extra splash factor. I don't know what it is. Like I just do not think this is better than, uh, let's see. Via Nebula. There's one I'm staring at on my shelf. Via Nebula is a a family weight game about the same weight as this one. Uh, Quadropolis, I see that sitting on my shelf. Um, Let's see. Droplets. Oh, Kingsburg. Kingsburg is is a loved game, but it's actually got a lower rating than this. Um, uh, Escape the Curse of the Temple, which is a totally different kind of game. So I'm just looking at my shelf of games I consider on the lighter end of medium weight. Um, uh, that maybe get compared to this game as far as that goes that definitely have lower ratings than this. I don't know. I don't know if it's just like a quote of the new thing. Honestly, sometimes I think it's just a Kickstarter thing that artificially inflates these scores. But I don't need to say anything more about this because it is a good game. I just don't know where, you know, when I see the kind of ratings it was getting, I'm like, okay, this is going to be like a next tier game. This is going to be like 
a step up from all those games I just mentioned as far as just, man, it's just knocks your socks off the first time you play it and knocks them off every other time you play it. And then I played it, and no, it's a good game. It's a fun game. Very good components. Very good value. But it's not a step above any of those games I just mentioned. That's neither here nor there. I just noticed that. That I'm very cautious of the hype here lately. Especially if a game was on Kickstarter. Um, But it is a good game. And I don't think anybody... I don't think many people who are drawn to it are going to be disappointed. That said... Um, how would I rate it? Based on my four plays, including my solo play. Um, so it's a tentative rating. All ratings are. All ratings are subject to change. But I've not played it enough that I would feel comfortable being definitive, you know. But I played enough to know that it's fun and I don't regret getting it. And I'm somewhere between a seven and a half and an eight. Like, I'm going to say seven and a half, but then I remember those last couple games we played were just really fun. Like, it, we totally get the rules now. We get what the cards are worth, and it's just snappy, snappy, snappy. Um, heck, I'll go and give it an eight. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's good enough to be worth an eight. It's a fun game. It's a fun game, and if you like the cat theme, you're going to think it's a 10 out of 10 probably because it's like cat worship. <laughs> Even though they're like mutant or alien cats, magical cats maybe is a better word. They're definitely still cats, so you're going to love this if you're a cat lover. Unless you just hate Tetris-style gameplay or hate card drafting, you're going to love it. That's all of cats. Thank you very much for listening. I know this was a weird one. I'm not going to get all weird and mushy and <clears throat> waxing poetic or whatever that was I did um, very often. And I'll warn you ahead of time if I'm going to. How about that? But, uh, hey, let me know what you think. I mean, it's it's not too much fun, <clears throat> even though the numbers say there's people listening, it's not too much fun not knowing who's listening. Like, a little bit of interaction would be nice. We have a Facebook page, Cardboard Cave. We also have an Instagram page, Cardboard Cave. I understand social media is something I've thought about cutting out of my life, but if you're on either of those things, why don't you like or follow Cardboard Cave? And of course, if you give us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast format you use, that really does help. Specifically with Apple Podcasts, um, that's how they determine what results show up when you search for something and whoever has the reviews. So I would appreciate a review if you enjoy the show at all. Um, and if not, um, go find a better podcast. I truly won't blame you. But thank you for joining in. Please uh, pick your shoes up on the way out of the cave and um, don't hit your head on the the low-hanging stalagmites or stalagmites. Stalagmites. I think those are the silly. No stalactites because they hang on tightly. That's right. See you later. <laughs>